Omnimon and I and I uh, welcome back. It is the day after Thanksgiving here, and thought I'd do a show a day early. My girlfriend though is working nine to nine. I know, insane. I was about to put on some tea luck as we were talking, but I'm gonna just stick with this. In case you want to know, I've never actually shown this. I have one of these little kits. It's got a mirror. It's It's got the, the T-Lock stuff. And actually, I have more of this tucked away. Uh, water and a little mixing cup and, and stuff for the dot. And then the special... But you can do this with... I don't know what we call this. Um, for the Swami Narayan Faith. This kit, though, I picked up uh, through ISKCON, if you should ever want one. It's very cheap, very unaffordable. Actually, maybe I will do some T-Lock as we're talking. Swami Narayan, that is the theme today. We are continuing our Spiritual Seekers class. Uh, I know, it's a slow go, but I have other things that I often want to talk about. And uh, so we're going to pick it up. This is class number seven. And we're going to finish what we started reading in the last class. Um, let me just get my stuff out here, add a little water. I often do this in my hand, but then it would make my hand all filthy. <laughs> uh, if you wish to support this channel, if you wish to support what I do here, which is just talking, sharing the scriptures, yet on my website. Let's see if this works. I doubt it. Eh, kind of, sorta. Get on my website, as I just said. Um, the link is down below, and also right here. <laughs> I'm an author of a lot of stuff. I just debuted a new mystery series on music called, um, this one's called Soundtrack for a Murder in Maine, the first in a series of short stories focused on this um, guy. He solves mysteries and they're about music. First one takes place in Maine, just because it's where I live, and actually describes a little city called Millinocket, which is up in the mountains, which is real. And I tried to make the description as real as possible uh, in tribute to this lovely little town where um, Thoreau went. If you've ever read the book Maine Woods, The Maine Woods, excuse me, it takes place at one point in what would become a few years later Millinocket, which I've read about here or written about here. Anyways, this website down below will show you all my books and, you know, buy something, get a few pennies off of it. It helps support this or, you know, pay back the expenses that I've incurred. That's all it is. That's all it is. It's just a token of support and also then giving you something else that I've done that you might like. Okay, with that, now let's go into something else you might like. <laughs> let's go into today's talk from the Vakshanamrut. This is the edition published by BAPS. You can actually get this on Amazon. Let me get a little bit closer here. It's a huge book. Um, this edition is actually my favorite. There's another one that's published uh, by uh, another group, but when you read it, it just doesn't flow that well. This one is much more detailed, and it just flows 
better, even though it uses a lot of Hindu terms and words and can get confusing. And so there is often like looking in the dictionary, and so it's it's a come and go. But I like this version the best. Uh, it also includes I think it's ten or so Vakshan roots that aren't published in the other edition that are. Um, I, well, maybe there's more than 10 here, but there's additional, you know, uh, Vacham roots that are recognized by one group and not another. <laughs> and as uh, history and um, religious quasi-armchair scholar, I kind of like that. So if you're interested in the Vacham root, this is the one I, I do recommend for its clarity uh, of reading and also the details. It feels like it's just a better translation overall, though you may need a dictionary. Today we're going to read from Pongshala 3. Now I already started this in the last video, what, a month or two ago? So we're going to pick up where we left off. I am not going to read the whole thing. I've just decided that really there's only two, three points here which I think are really important for a spiritual seeker. The rest of this sort of gets into some details that, you know, they're they're good, but sometimes I think we don't need the details. It, the basics right now are keeping us busy. You know what I mean? How do I how do I might put this in another way? Sometimes, uh. We just want the cheapest loaf of bread on the shelf. The fact that we have 20 different varieties almost doesn't matter. We, we just need the cheapest one because money right now is really tight. So the fact that we have all these others and there's a calorie count and this has some different stuff and this is slightly different and, and this one's potato bread and that one's rye. Honestly, we're really broke and we just want something that'll fill us up. And maybe it's not the healthiest. Maybe we could do something better. But you know what? Right now, we just need the one that's just the basic one. And then we'll work with this. We'll fill ourselves up, get some money, and then maybe we can worry later about the calorie count. <laughs> that's kind of how I see this. We just need the basics right now. So if you want to then dig into some other stuff, you can. If that's what you need. Not everyone is in that same place. And sometimes I feel like the, the details often discourage folks and also overwhelm them very easily. Sorry, just realizing there's stuff from the tea lock on the table here. <laughs> um, and, and also sometimes things distract people, like I just got distracted. You know, you're like, oh, but this says here, and you're like, yes, but you're... We haven't worked with the basics yet, so we're just going to do some basic stuff here. So if you wish to follow along, um, we're starting in this book, it's chapter 6. This is also a difference between this book and other versions. The way they cut paragraphs up is, is not uniform. And the original version of the Vakshan route didn't really have paragraphs. It was like Jack Kerouac's on the road, just one long thing. Anyways. So... Shriji Maharaja says, The devotional songs that you have just sung are full of love. 
while you were singing, I pondered over the nature of love and realized that love is a great asset and to worship God with love is commendable. After deep thought though, I realized love itself is the Maya of God. Why? Because if two women are casually talking to each other, looking at each other, or touching each other, then that is a different type of love. Or if two men are talking to each other, looking at each other, casually touching each other, then that is also a different type of love. But if a man is looking at a woman, embracing her, listening to her talks, enjoying her fragrance, then the love and mental attraction he develops for her is such that that type of love does not develop between two men. Also, if a woman is looking at a man, embracing him, etc., then the love she develops for him through his association with her mind being totally attracted towards him is such that that type of love does not develop between two women. Therefore, that which is the cause of the perpetuation of the world, and that which also causes bondage, and the cycle of birth and death, the Maya of God itself takes the form of love. Let's pause here for a second. How often do you hear a guru say, you know, the problem is love? Kind of never. This is a rare thing. Now, obviously, he is describing heterosexual relations here. I don't know what his feeling on homosexuality was or lesbianism, um, though traditionally in Vedic culture, it wasn't really a favorable thing. It was sort of looked upon, I don't want to, I, I want to say condemned, though I don't know if it was condemned, but it wasn't really recognized as, uh, from my reading of some of the laws of Manu in a recent episode on um, Vedic marriage, and also in my reading of the Kama Sutra, I see it almost as like a distraction. Homosexuality is a distraction for some people. It's a, it's a way to occupy their minds, and that's all it is. So, if you're offended by this, the guy was writing... Uh, or speaking this 150, 60 something years ago, actually more than maybe two, closer to 200. Completely different culture, completely different worldview. Please don't be offended. Get over expecting people from the past to live like we do now, because in 50 years from now, you'll be condemned, because we won't live the same, I'm sure. So, just putting that aside, uh, and we're just going to talk heterosexual here, just to stay in line with this. A man loves a woman, a woman loves a man, they get together, they become householders, and we all know from our reading of scriptures that householders are overwhelmed with bondage. Kids, family, jobs, debts, whatever, things. They have so much bondage. And it is a problem. And what starts this often is love. Now, in our recent 
talk, the most recent one I did, on Vedic marriage, we discovered that in the laws of Manu, there are eight types of marriage, and actually only really one of them is about love. The rest are arranged marriages. Uh, also marriages to fulfill debts, or to do something, or to save face, um, but love isn't really, really a thing. So he talks here, though, Maharaja talks here, about love being a thing. Which is kind of interesting. <sighs> and I have all these thoughts flooding through my head now. So there's two things I'll say. One is, in light of the last episode that I did, this is not Vedic. This is Neo-Hinduism. Vedic culture doesn't really recognize love. There is love there, but it's not the basis of marriage and relationships. So this is actually not Vedic. This th alone is an example of a modern world and Neo-Hinduism. So I will argue that Sri Sri Maharaja is not as Vedic as folks say he is. If he's putting love here as the basis of relationships, that's a modern thing. What he should be doing is talking more maybe about lust, because a man and a woman touching and embracing, that's often more lust than love. I like the girl at the coffee shop. That's not really love, that's sort of lust. So that's actually what we should be discussing, that a lust is the basis of this bondage. Lust is often why we hook up with people that creates bondage. So maybe, Maharaja is Vedic, and we have a translation error. But if he's talking about love and all this, that's, that's not really accurate. It should be lust. But now let's move on to my... That's actually, what's now a third point? Love as Maya. Love as the Maya of God. That's a fascinating idea. We have this thing that we all cherish, that we all want. We all want to be loved. We all want to love somebody write songs about it, we make art about it, books, etc., etc., but yet is that the quintessential Maya of God? Is that the biggest trick of all? The the love uh, that is infatuation, and, and, and not love like you have for your pets, not love, as he says here, between two men or two women. Even though women and lesbianism is mentioned in the Kama Sutra, which seems to be absent here in you know, that was written long before this. I don't I don't know. Again, that could be a Vedic question here. Um, or he's just ignorant on that. I don't know. But love is this the biggest trap of God. <coughs> Excuse me. Is love as as big a trap as materialism? And what does that mean? We're gonna read forward just a little bit. But then I thought, sight, sounds, smells, tastes, and touch are also the punkshvushyes. Having regarded... Excuse me. <coughs> just getting over the flu. Having regarded everything else as perishable, if those vishes are directed only towards God, realizing Him to be the only source of ultimate bliss, then that is fine. That is not Maya. But then I thought that even 
that is not appropriate. After all, if one perceives sight, sound, smells, tastes, and touch to be better in other objects as compared to those that are in God, one will abandon God and will develop love for other objects. We will pause here. Oh, uh, now I'm confused. He said earlier the love between men and women, but now he's talking about the love of objects. So this is a translation issue, clearly, because the love for my coffee cup, just because it's sitting here, with Baby Yoda as Ace Fraley, because Baby Yoda's cute and I love Kiss, or we could also include the coffee inside, which is cheap stuff from Target. <laughs> The love I have for this mug, which is a favorite mug of mine, which my girlfriend bought for me on Etsy, versus the love I have for my girlfriend, versus the love I have, I don't know, for that really cute girl in some store who smiles a lot, versus the love I have for this bass behind me that I play and, and music that I make, versus the love of my girlfriend's animals that she's grown up with, that take up a whole chair. And actually, you can't see... There's a cat sleeping right behind me. Yeah, you can't, you can't see her so well. But the love we have for Fiona, these are not all the same types of love. This might be materialism. This is love for a species of animals. Love for my girlfriend is the person I'm committed with. Um, love for the, the, the girl at the coffee shop is just fun, flirtation. These are very different forms of love. And to all talk about them in the same way, it, it's, a, it's, a little, it's a little confusing. Yes. We, we can easily distract ourselves with love. And we can take our love and put it on stuff like this mug instead of God. But it, this, it's more complicated than this. I really think it is more complicated. Because I really love this mug. I love the band Kiss. But... If I lose this mug, is my life over? Or am I focused on this mug to the detriment of God? Well, no, I use this mug for my coffee. I only have had it for like two years. And, you know, I haven't listened to Kiss in a little while. It's not taking anything away from God. So it, it's not... Yeah, the way he talks here, it's sort of all or other. You know, if all of a sudden something is better, I'm going here, but... I think life is more subtle than that. But I think he's right. Love can be a distraction, but... I don't know. I don't know. I think he's... He's... he's. I feel like this lesson isn't really as fulfilling as I was hoping it would be. <laughs> and as I kind of dissect this, it logically doesn't flow. And actually, I need to apologize for that, because you are here to grow, and here I am reading something that is confusing. But, but, as I discussed in a previous episode, or many episodes, this show, everything I do here, is about two things. It is about bhakti, which is love for God. It is also about jhana, which is asking questions. And I talked about this in a recent episode on enlightenment in terms of Ramana Maharshi. Who am I? Now, let's take that 
and apply it to this. Who am I? When we, when we ask ourselves that question, we start to see what we love, what we don't love, what we do, what we don't do, what we like, what we create, what is important to us. We start to see the real person. We start to see what is valuable to us and where our allegiances lie. For example, um, if I was a KISS fan, KISS Army member who was obsessed with the band so much that I really was taking attention away from everything, that would be a problem. And I know people who are obsessed by things to the point where there's nobody in their life because no one can find a space in their life. Because they have no space for anything other than this obsession. And they just keep a closed door. Uh, I had an ex-girlfriend who was like that. She was like, I only like what I like. And it's a small bubble. And every time I broke it, which wouldn't be deliberate, I would get blasted. When we start to now ask who we are and what we like or what we don't like or what we are, I think then this, this can make some sense for us on a technical level not a technical level, a actual down-to-earth, how do we use this in our daily basis level? Because I think what Maharaji is talking here is very, uh, it's good, but on some level, as I said, this love for this versus the love for that versus the love for this, it's not all black and white. There's subtlety. So how do we bring some, some enlightenment to, not enlightenment, how do we bring some insight to this? by asking who are we and how does love play a role in our life. Then we can take what he says as these things are a distraction and start to see, are they a distraction? And then it actually kind of enrolls before us. So the key is to ask, who are we? So I want to skip over what is next. Um, and go to the very end of this chapter. Um, the last couple paragraphs are actually uh, a paragraph near the end. It sort of summarizes what he says. So he goes, It is only appropriate that one develops love for God while behaving as the Atma. That is my principle, and one who develops love for God in this way is dear to me. Moreover, one should think the beauty of God cannot be found anywhere else. The touch of God cannot be found anywhere else. The fragrance of God cannot be found anywhere else. The bliss experienced from hearing God cannot be found anywhere else, and the taste related to God cannot be found anywhere else. In this way, one should tempt the Indriyas and the Antakran and divert them away from other vishes. Such understanding is appropriate. So he says, one should not really uh, expect the love of God from other things. One should not really substitute one thing for the love of God. 
this is a good book, I think, my book. But I shouldn't substitute it and believe that this is the word of God and I have written scripture as great as God. I haven't. I've just written a nice little story that some people might like. If I wrap my, round, my head around it and go, oh, well, this is the greatest thing ever and I am the greatest teacher, I am now forgetting that the words of God, the books of God, are greater. And we shouldn't do that. We should not forget. But sometimes we do. Have you ever met an artist who thought they were the greatest thing ever? That they were special because they were an artist? Or a writer who's like, yes, my books are pretty much the best books out there. Why aren't you buying them? Have you ever met someone like that? Or I'm the best musician? Or whatever. They're so full of themselves because they have re actually replaced God with themselves. And this is actually a common thing today. I think um, there's many social organizations today that have replaced God with themselves. And we can go back to Ramana Maharashi and go, who am I? Well, if I am the greatest writer ever, am I really? Am I really? And if I am, why am I sitting in this little house and nobody knows me? Because <laughs> I'm a suffering artist? <clears throat> Maybe what I am is an artist, but I'm also an egotist, and I have gotten rid of God, and I've replaced it with things. But yet, the things of God cannot be found anywhere else, as Swami Ryan writes here. So we have to be careful. We have to be careful to not forget God. That is, that, is the, that is the lesson I really want to take from this little bit. We have to be careful not to forget God. To not let God be substituted by something else. And it's something else that we control and we make and is in our power. And if it is within our power, that means we are greater than it. And being greater than it, well, we become God which means we're not anything, it's just nothing, because we're not God. And even if we believe that we become God like Shiva, or uh, uh, the writings of Adi Shankara about Shiva, still, God is greater than us, because we are only a part and parcel of God. Because if I was truly God, I would take this coffee and spread it out so much that everyone in the world would, there would be no... Um, starvation, um, there would be, be, you know, no dehydration. We would all be able to drink if I was God, but I can't do that. <laughs> and I need money to do that, and God doesn't need money. So I think that's really what we need to take from this, is to be careful to put our focus on things and lose something else, to lose God. And we have love for things, and love comes in many forms. And sometimes it can take us away from God. There is love of God, and that is a whole different ballgame. And we shouldn't confuse one for the other. But it's very easy to do. And we need to kind of investigate a little bit to find out if that's if that's what we're doing. So I'm gonna close this here. This was probably the 
bumpiest ride of all these lessons. And you need to excuse me. I'd read this before, but now reading it again live, I just... It's the jhana yoga. I'm asking questions. And I believe if you don't ask questions, your, 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 your spirituality will plateau. It will absolutely freeze, because you have all the answers and you're done. Well, even Buddha continued to have questions. <laughs> Everyone had, Krishna had questions. So if you're done, the, and all these other greater people than you weren't, yeah, that something's off. Got to continue to ask questions. No matter how great you think this teacher is or any teacher, you need to ask questions. For me, Swami Narayan is a good teacher. He is not God, though. A lot of people call him God, but I don't, I don't see that at all. I don't get it at all. Um, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't see any proof of that. I think he is just a great reformer in Gujarat, India, whose teachings are, a lot of them, are of value today and largely forgotten and has some great things for very devoted spiritual seekers. And that's a good place to end this. So, hopefully you've gained something out of this. <laughs> um, if not, thank you for hanging out with me, as always, and I will check you out, or you will check me out, I guess, in the next episode. And until then, uh, take care of yourself, be well, ask questions, grow, and uh, be safe. Chai Shri Krishna. Chai Shri Swaminara.